Hi, and welcome to the Let's Talk Healthy Pets podcast. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, Dr. Mercola's Chief Wellness Veterinary Consultant, and I'm excited to share with you the latest news about pet health to guide you in keeping your animal companions healthy, comfortable, and happy throughout their lives. My goal as a proactive vet is to empower pet owners to make knowledgeable decisions to extend the lifespan and well-being of their animals. If you're looking for more pet health tips, you can also subscribe to my free daily newsletter at healthypets.mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy today's podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker and Alexandra has nominated Dr. Kim Henneman for a Game Changer Award. And we're so thankful Kim is taking the time today to join us. We're excited that she is here. She's had a fantastic career that I'm excited to have her share with all of you. So congratulations, Kim, on your Game Changer Award. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. I'm honored to have been invited. Yes, so exciting. And so back up, uh, you have done so much in your career, but there had to have been when you were a young girl there, either you were born knowing you were a veterinarian or there was some aha moment where you figured it out. Can you walk us through how and when you decided to become a vet and then your veterinary school career? And then clearly you are a learner because you have gone on to learn a lot of other things after Mm -hmm. graduation. And so walk us through that entire process. Well, I don't remember when I exactly wanted to be a veterinarian, but I know it was pretty ingrained by at least fifth grade. Um, I know I went through a flight attendant mode because my mom had been a flight attendant. And uh, then somewhere around fourth or fifth grade, obviously, I decided I wanted to be a vet. And I and my my classmates, if you talk to them, will tell you that I pretty much was focused and stuck to that all the way through. Uh, I went to pretty I went did my undergrad at Utah State. I'm a Utah kid. I'm a Western kid. I love the mountains. I love being outside. I love horses. I love all kinds of animals. And uh, so I did my undergrad at Utah State. And then from there, I went to Purdue University, which was hard when you're a skier because it's really fun flat back there and and the snow just blows around from Illinois to Ohio with Indiana in the middle and uh, so I got through vet school uh, got out and had a conventional um, job I was very interested in the space program and my goal had been to get some experience so I could actually apply to NASA to be a mission specialist uh, because my dad had been an aeronautical and uh, and mechanical engineer Um, and so I got out of school but I had some I guess little setbacks, but they're not really, they were setbacks at the time. They're not setbacks now. They were, you know, change lane kind of moments. And uh, first one was I'd been vaccinated for rabies my senior year of vet school, and I had a really bad reaction to it. And turns out I had developed chronic fatigue syndrome. And I didn't know that because, you know, at that time in the mid eighties, we weren't really talking about it or didn't know much about it. And uh, so as I gradually was the next four years as I was working in private practice here in Salt Lake, um, I was gradually getting sicker and sicker. And my associate, my boss at the time was uh, taking one of the first IVIS acupuncture courses. And I had been interested in acupuncture in vet school. I'd SCAVMA, the student chapter of the AVMA had done some, you know, classes, acupuncture classes for vet students. And I found it pretty intriguing. And, uh, but when he took the acupuncture course, I was like, well, well, tell me about it when you get back. And then through doing the acupuncture, he kind of started to network with more integrative practitioners. And then he got me hooked up with someone who could help me with my health issues. And then I took the acupuncture course and then finally went out on my own, started an equine practice, a mixed animal practice, doing mostly relief work for other veterinarians, still doing conventional emergency surgical practice, and then adding a little bit of the equine acupuncture and then finding a little bit more demand for the small animal acupuncture until I finally just kind of broke away completely and 
and started my own practice. Uh, and then started with practice, I was mostly mobile initially, and then I got a fixed location. And uh, I started initially getting a lot of requests from a lot of dog handlers, especially the ski people, because they tend to be a little bit more integrative. And I started doing more working dogs, the avalanche dogs for them. And then that opened doors for other performance and working dogs. And and pretty much now my practice, um, and I'm still looking for a vet. So if anybody knows anybody, send them my way. Um, my practice is kind of multifaceted. So, cause I don't like to be bored. And so we do about 50, 50 companion animal and equine with, as I mentioned, occasionally one or two little zoo animals in there, like a giraffe and a rhino and an elephant. And um, I do the majority of my practice. So if I take each animal group separately, half of it is integrative for life, life issues managing young animals, managing chronic disease, and then the other half is performance and working. And that's pretty much the same for both the horses and the companion animals. So that's where I am now. So first of all, I'm sure you are never bored because never. between all the different species and all the different cases. But the other nice thing about the balance is that for the performance side of things, those are healthy animals that they want to keep healthy. And that Correct. is a really nice break from treating chronically ill animals. I mean, there's right. some nice balance there, which is it fantastic. Is. Do you find that the performance side of things, I, f I feel like people, whether it's, I don't touch horses, I know nothing about them, but <laughs> I believe, I believe it's a similar thought process where people are willing to do anything to keep their animals very well. And because of that, they're open-minded into more of a proactive mindset. No one uses drugs proactively. Um, we're using nutraceuticals and food and modalities to help keep the body above the level of breaking or becoming sick or degenerating. I feel like because of that, that category of proactive mindset people it, with performance animals, they're more open to integrative options. Would you, uh, would you agree with that in the, especially in the equine space that there's yeah. no having to convince anyone or is there more skepticism that uh, maybe in your neck of the woods? Well, I don't think it's a skepticism. What I see is you kind of have it split. You've got the people who will do anything in the wrong way. So they will try drugging an animal. Uh, you know, they will probably not give them the rest that they need. And those are issues that um, I get worried about. But then you also get other people who've tried things or they hear that somebody else tried thing and then they was they were beaten at a competition. And so then they say, well, I'd like to try this acupuncture. I'd like to try this chiropractic. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my mentors in equine is Dr. Chris. Cahill in Kentucky. And uh, I spent some time with him and he was a very early adopter and he had people uh, like call of fame trainers who, and he was acupuncturing Kentucky Derby horses and uh, horses before the big races, before it was fashionable yeah. and also doing chiropractic. And, and I got exposed to, um, you know, Marvin Kane and uh, Earl Sutherland as, as some of those early um, you know, I was very lucky. I feel very grateful and very yes. fortunate that I, I trained directly underneath people like that, Dominique wow. Ginio, um, and 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 uh, individuals like that who were real groundbreakers. That it's their shoulders that I stand on. Um, and in the canine world, the same thing. Horses, the thing that kind of regulates them a little bit is many competitions do drug tests, and so people can't get away with it. So they'll try these other things. Sometimes in the dog world, we don't see that quite as much. And yeah. uh, I sometimes have to reel people in going, no, we don't want to use that anti-inflammatory right before a show. Um, I do work at the Iditarod as a trail veterinarian. I just got back where I got to work on dogs at minus 55 degrees Fahrenheit. So that was an experience. Wow. And the nice thing there is those people are very 
integratively open. They're dealing with a herd health situation because they have multiple dogs that they have to deal with. And they are, there is drug testing at the Iditarod. So, you know, I have a whole group of mushers that they're trying to manage their teams, you know, using homeopathic remedies, using herbs, um, using massage, acupressure, things like that. And so, you know, I'm like, Hey, let's, let's encourage that. Let's train you how to do it correctly. And then they spread the word. And then, you know, that's one of the things I think that helps that kind of perspective kind of grow into other people. Gosh. So you have this incredibly diversified career and, and, and when did you start working with, I didn't realize, I knew that I knew the equine performance and I, of course I, I know the dogs. When did you start working with, uh, with sled dogs? Is that a recent thing or no, you've done it all along? Yeah, no, not all along. Um, this was year 10 at Iditarod. Wow. Um, but it started about 12 years ago and we had a little local, there was a call out for veterinarians for a local race that was just, you know, for kids, for running two dogs for three miles. And, and, you know, it was a recreational musher race and I had, I knew nothing, zero about sled dogs. And I thought, well, I do so many other different types of working dogs. Here's another one to learn about. And it gets me outside, which I like to be outside. And uh, so I went up and helped work that race. And then I worked it a couple of years and then people were saying, oh, you should go work the Iditarod. I'm like, well, I don't know enough about how to, how to deal with that level. That's Olympic level dogs. And uh, so I applied and they have a training program. And I went my first year and I was just going to do it as a bucket list item. And I had so much fun and met so many amazing people that I just keep going back because it's a glutton for punishment. I like to work in minus 55, not so well, (laughs) well, and you know, because you like to be outside, you're just expend, you know, you're just, first Mm -hmm. of all, you're helping your, your mitochondria recycle themselves and your autophagy right? up to par, right? <laughs> right. I would <laughs> hope so. An extra 20 <laughs> years doing that, which is fantastic. But just yet another really amazing diversified experience that you, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that has to be incredibly fulfilling and also so good for your brain and keeps your career so colorful and diverse. It's just really wonderful. But it's also, it's also very educational because I've learned yeah. a lot about how those uh, people handle their dogs yep. and they, they don't even bat an eye, nor do their veterinarians at using raw food. And yes. uh, they use raw food all the time. They, they try to manage everything with exercise and diet and some nutraceuticals and shock of all shocks. A lot of those dogs, many of those dogs live well into their late teens, like 17 and 18. So, you know, I looked at that and I go, there's something there. What do I need to learn from this? And I've learned a lot that I can bring home and apply to my, my gal who's running the agility dog, you know, next door. Right. So I can help her out from that perspective too. I did. I do find it interesting that I think there's two categories, both sled dogs and racing greyhounds as that industry winds down. I felt like those two categories, it was accepted by all veterinarians, those dogs eat raw meat and they Mm -hmm. just always have. And it was never questioned. And yet if you try and pull a dog off of a track or out of the sledding situation, it's okay. Now we're going to go from the raw meat diet as an athlete to kibble. And I always thought, you know, it's interesting that our entire profession accepts that some categories of working dogs can eat raw meat. It's fine. No one questions Mm -hmm. it. And yet we're out of that situation. It's like, no, 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 no. So you do bring up a fascinating point with that. So the whole concept of, of, you know, nourishing an athlete as uh, in the most optimal way does bring us back around to the sled dog conversation. Probably we could do an entire interview on that alone. Mm -hmm. So I have to ask with all of these things that you're doing Mm -hmm. and with all of this colorful history and career that you have going on, when you get up in the morning, 
What are some of the most favorite things that you look forward to in terms of your career? What do you enjoy most? I enjoy going into the office. I love meeting my clients. I have such a wide variety of people who have amazing stories and I give myself enough time in my appointments. I'm not in this corporate, you know, 15 minute in and out kind of a mode that I can uh, listen to them and hear their stories. Because a lot of times when they tell their story, it gives me hints about how to deal with the health issue that I'm being faced with, with the animal. And I've got some amazing clients that I'm like, oh my God, I never knew you had climbed Everest. You know, what was that like? You know, how did you do that? How did you stay alive? And uh, yeah, and I have some people that just have some really, and, and a lot of them, I just had a gentleman in recently who's a retired immunologist that worked at NIH. And we had a really interesting conversation about uh, vaccines and immunology, immunological product development. And, and, and he, he was fascinating to talk to. And so that's why I get up. I have these amazing clients. I've got amazing patients. I mean, I like being a detective. I like the challenge of uh, trying to problem solve. You know, it's great when the puppies come in because that's just nice, simple. And hey, I'm going to get you, hopefully get you started on the right track. And uh, it's just uh, the diversity and I'm grateful. I try to get up every morning and say that I'm grateful for whatever I have. So. Wow. Yeah. That's, and, and you're, I know that you are, you're wildly popular uh, veterinary and you're out there, you're writing, you're, you're educating, mm-hmm. you're an expert in many different realms and many different species, which is really quite inspiring. If people wanted to learn more about all the things that you do, where do they go? What, talk, what are your websites? Where, where can we send people if they want to well, follow or learn more? <laughs> I, uh... Where do they go? Right. Uh, Well, my website's under construction right now. We're redoing it. And so it's a little bit dated, but um, I have a website and I honestly can't remember what my domain name is. I think it's (laughs) ahvipsvet.com. So my practice is animal health VIPs because I try to treat my clients as VIPs and my patients as VIPs. But the VIP stands for veterinary integrative and performance specialist. So I had another specialist at the time and I'm uh, when I started it, but uh, she retired. So that's why I said still looking for another one. Um, and then on uh, Facebook and Instagram, um, I do I, right now I'm in the process of posting my photographs and my videos from the Iditarod this year because it just ended a week ago. And uh, so I'm posting those things. And uh, right now, obviously, lectures and clinics and stuff are kind of, you know, in, in, in hold and in reserve right now until we can get back to a semi-normal face-to-face type world. But, uh, you know, right now, I mean, I just am so busy with my clients because my priority is always my day-to-day clients and my own mental health. I take time off to go ski, to ride my horses, uh, to compete when I can and um, compete myself with my own horses. And uh, wow. so, so I don't have as much time to do videos and blogs and stuff like that, but uh, probably the closest thing to stay caught up is with Instagram and with Facebook. Yeah. Awesome. And looking back over all that you've learned and all your life experiences with rich with uh, interactions with amazing humans, amazing animals, if you could share one thing with the world, what would it be? Well, that's tough because I like to think in as many tracks as I like to do. But if it's one thing, I would say don't think linearly. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm concerned with the 
new graduates and are the tone, the kind of track that our profession is taking that everybody seems to want an easy button and they want a quick checklist just to mark the box and send people home. And that's not problem solving. That's just managing symptoms. True health is problem solving to the core. And that's not always easy. And sometimes you have to be a detective. And unless you look bigger and you see patterns and you see interactions and you take the time to learn about the pattern here, the pattern there. I mean, that's a Chinese Ayurvedic homeopathy thing, right? Is to look at the bigger pattern, both the big patterns, the little patterns, and those aren't linear, you know, those are circular twisty turny, and therefore they look like they're a little bit more difficult. And, you know, my clients actually sometimes do a better job at that than I think many myself and many of my colleagues do. So I would have to say the one thing is, is look at the big picture, try to put the patterns together, everybody be detectives. I mean, I know that's not just one thing, but I guess that's a big thing. That's really good advice. And I think that you have set your practice, your life, your, your job as a veterinarian up to where you give yourself the time to be a really good sleuth, a diagnostician. You're giving yourself the time to communicate with your clients who are perceptive enough to identify those patterns once the conversation gets started, but you right. give yourself the opportunity to carve out the time to have the conversation, which right. is, I think, really excellent advice and profound words of wisdom, especially for younger veterinarians that mm-hmm. may be frustrated. Um, they maybe haven't had this piece of incredible advice to be able to enrich their careers enough being able to get to the root of the problem, meaning your the checklist is never going to cut it. But because we weren't taught that in vet school, learning some of these really important gems mm-hmm. come from well-seasoned veteran clinicians like yourself to be able mm-hmm. to say there's a different way of looking exactly at the art of medicine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I tell them, I tell my interns and my preceptors, think of it as if you're looking into a room from a specific window. Now move to a different window and yeah. look through it that way. And how does that room change? And when you look through all the windows, you get a big picture. And then that does make it easy to use a little checklist to go, okay, I think it's this, this, and this. Now, what do I do? Yeah. And that's also brilliant advice. Use your checklist as the summary conclusion after you have right. evaluated the entire home. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, you bring so much wisdom to our profession. We're so thankful uh, and honored that you so graciously share all of your wisdom pertaining to all of the different species that Mm -hmm. you're passionate about. We love this. We love that Alexandra took the time to nominate you. And we're so thankful that you have taken the time this morning to share with us a little bit more about all the amazing things you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Karen. And I thank Alexandra as a surprise. And I have to thank her very much for having done that. It's an honor.